How does that song go? You know, the one that goes, it's the end of the year as we know it. 2019 was a busy year for Frederick County, and for us, the Frederick News Post as well. We covered murder, different court trials, other criminal cases. We covered immigration, the Frederick City logo, people experiencing homelessness, and different changes in office. We even covered a series about a con man. The end of 2019 marks more than just the end of a busy year in Frederick County. It also marks the end of the decade. This is Frederick Uncut. I'm Heather Mangilio. I asked city editor Alan Etzler to join me in the studio to recap some of the most read, discussed, and interesting stories of the year. All right, Alan, so let's look first back at 2019. What were some of the biggest stories that we covered? Yeah, so I'm going to uh, break this down, I guess, into kind of two categories. One is kind of going to be of the more of the breaking news, kind of individual singular stories. Um, and then the other will be kind of continuing long-term coverage uh, of some of the biggest issues, I guess. That's kind of how I... I consider the issues to be the bigger stories, the ones that go on, but the I think a lot of the community looks at things and they look at the biggest singular incident, and uh, that uh, one of those, I think, the at, that's at the forefront of everybody's mind in particular because um, uh, the court case is about to happen, um, is the assault at the Great Frederick Fair that led to the death of a Mount Airy man named John Weed. Um, that included uh, two uh, teenagers being charged uh, with several kind of uh, assault charges um, in varying degrees. And so that's being adjudicated now, um, working its way through the court system. Uh, That was a pretty big story for about a week and a half and was kind of the only thing people were talking about, and it got blown up because um, uh, the racial element that was involved between uh, a white man who John Weed, who was the the victim, and then um, uh, the two teenagers were were black men, uh, black boys, and um, a lot of national media were picking up on, on kind of just the racial tensions that we're living in. So uh, it was understandable that that happened, but uh, that's the reason that story got really, really big play. Um, so that was a big one for well, us. And since you're just mentioning crime, crimes that happened, any other big crime news that? Yeah, covering? yeah, I'll get to that in the continuing coverage. But um, the the other big crime incident, singu- what I consider to be a singular incident, there's dozens of charges now. But you've just covered the Ernesto Torres trial. Um, Ernesto Torres, a local pediatrician uh, in Frederick County, uh, was charged um, for uh, sexual assault, sexual uh, varying sexual offenses. And more than 65 charges now. A lot of women have come forward uh, and saying he had done things to them that were inappropriate. Um, so that's working its way through the trial. He just got sentenced to one year in jail. Um, I believe that was yesterday. This week has gone by. It was yesterday. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yes. Um, as of this recording, it was yesterday. When this re- when this comes out, it'll be a week ago. Um, but, yeah, so he'll have several more charges that come through the court system but was just sentenced on his first one. Um and I think those are the two big crime ones. Well, we also had a murder this year, right? That's right. The Heather Williams. Heather, Heather Williams was was killed, um, and that was in Jefferson, if I remember that one correctly. Um, that one was very big as well, and and very rather gruesome, if I can uh, recall correctly. Um, so, yeah, the, the crime stories are always big ones that people. Um, look at but they're kind of isolated 
uh, singular incidents, and and some more of those, I guess, will will go down uh, the list. Includes um, Usamrit shutting down. That was a big story. Uh, and that made some national headlines as well. They shut down for gosh, well, five te- months. Yeah, and they're technically not fully back up right. and running yet, so they're partially shut down still at this point. And so a lot of that was due to. Um, you can probably explain it better than than I can, but them just basically not abiding by certain procedures that they should. Yeah, they they got a little lax in mm-hmm. some of their biosafety measures, um, and when they were inspected by the CDC, the or Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they said you can't be lax when you're dealing with things like Ebola or Venezuelan equine encephalitis or the bacteria that causes the plague. Can you say that again. Venezuela (laughs) and uh, equine encephalitis. There's also Eastern equine encephalitis, a tick-borne, or no, a mosquito-borne disease. Um, The bacteria that causes the plague, like these are things you don't really want to be lax about. Um, And they have been working with the CDC to get back up and running. Um, There are a lot of work on some of their projects. Um, But we did a lot of coverage on that. We will have more on it just because we keep filing different requests to see what more we can learn from that. But um, I think the scariest one I found is that they didn't have their registry completely filled. And as we were looking back, as we're doing some reflections on the past decade, found out this is not the first time that their registry has not been updated. Yeah, you guys will hear more about that. Um, We're doing a special project looking back the last two decades. Uh, Dietrich comes up at least once. (laughs) Uh, So... Well, something to to keep a lookout for. Um, the other 2019 ones I, I, I want to run down real quick uh, were M- Mike Spurrier. Uh, this was, again, we're on the isolated incidents. Uh, Mike Spurrier had been the uh, director of the Fred Community Action Agency for more than 30 years, uh, one of the biggest advocates for our homeless population in the county, uh, and he was fired from his job. Um, and that was that that made headlines just because of kind of the abrupt nature and um, kind of it's tangentially related to one of the biggest issues happening in 2019, which is uh, downtown homelessness and crime. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, and then the other also the other two also include the city. The city had a, a busy, hectic year. And um, that in- good and bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In both in both ways. Um that included dealing with Minoxi Boulevard, which was kind of a fiasco in trying to get that road open. They added a second bridge to Minoxi Boulevard to allow for two-lane, two-way traffic. Um, and as somebody who's traveled the bridge, I can say it is great. It's fantastic. It's made everything. It's made my life a lot easier, at least. Um, but it took a long time to get open, and there were some issues with the contractor, Milani, a DC company. Um, so it didn't go, I guess, as planned, but the end product is, is helpful. So I'll... It's okay. <laughs> um, and then the other one is, I think, kind of everybody's favorite story of the year, which is the Frederick City of Frederick logo fiasco, debacle, disaster. Um, <laughs> things did not go well when the City of Frederick unveiled a new logo as part of a marketing um, uh, package, I guess. Uh, and they all, they had a new website, and they, they did a lot of different things as part of this marketing uh, uh, package, and, and all of them were pretty good except for the logo. The logo was was terrible, it was not well received by the community, and was eventually dropped by um uh mayor Michael O'Connor who uh probably made the right decision because that as a objective bystander that logo was just not 
Not good. Alan had a wonderful column that, uh, earlier around <laughs> Halloween about dressing up as the logo, which probably was the best take on the logo. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but speaking of rebranding, there was also in the city, the f- hospital also rebranded itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the hospital unveiled, um, not even hospital, the, the, the system uh, unveiled its new name of Frederick uh, Health. All of its uh, entities will be under Frederick Health such and such. So Frederick Health Hospital, Frederick Health Hospice. Uh, they have a lot of programs, too many for me to name, um, but that seems to have been really well received. And the hospital also made some big news by purchasing the old State Farm uh, facility, and they're going to transfer a lot of their programs over there, do some uh, kind of consolidating different offices that they have that are spread apart and get them into one area, uh, which I think is going to be a big uh, big boom for them. Yeah, it was um, great to see them like kind of as the health reporter. It's really confusing trying to figure out the health system yeah. um, when especially when they're under different names. The only thing I think people have a grip about is that they miss FMH as the right. nickname for the hospital. So um, if the hospital would like to come up with a acronym, that'd be really <laughs> great for everyone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then I want to shout out, this was kind of an isolated, I'll say it was an isolated story. It was a series of stories. It was yours. It was one of my favorite stories that we did all year. And that was a series called A Marriage Con on Curtis Williamson. A uh, man who um, several women came forward and said they that they have been scammed by him and even as badly as actually killed off by him in terms of documents. They have been declared dead and basically their lives were thrown into ruins because of this man. And it seems to be a pattern of uh, this type of behavior. And that took a ton of digging. And it actually, I don't even think it started in 2019. The story, I think, started at the end of 2018. Yeah. Um, and so it was a tremendous amount of work, uh, tremendously well received by the community. Uh, unfortunately, no no uh, resolution yet, but um, that's something you're sticking on. And just wanted to give you a kudos and to tell people to go read that series because it was a, it's a five-part series. It's very long, but it's well worth your time. It is probably the most frustrating thing I've ever done because the story, I mean, I really enjoyed writing the story. We were supposed to do a lot longer on it. And then all of a sudden we wrapped it up pretty quickly in a good way. Um, but not having that resolution yeah. um, of we, we never find Curtis Williamson. He never commented for the story. I went to a court hearing uh, in June. He never showed up. Um, I check in with the women probably every two to three months just to say, hey, have you heard anything? I called the courthouse in West Virginia if they have heard anything. And he's in the wind. I actually just recently downloaded some dating apps because that's where he goes on just to see if he ever pops up. Um, so hopefully... So you're swiping right trying <laughs> to find right, Curtis yeah. Williams. I have to have this conversation <laughs> with my boyfriend. Like, I'm not, I promise I'm not uh, looking for someone else. I'm just that's looking a, for this man. life of a journalist right <laughs> But there. yeah, resolution for 20, uh, 2020, find Curtis Williamson. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that, I mean, you know, regardless of what happens to him, it would be a great perspective to have just to see what he would what he would say when confronted with... Uh, as much evidence as you provided in, in the set of stories. Um, and now I want to move on to the uh, what I consider to be the, the bigger stories of 2019 because they, they are long-lasting. Um, they are shaping the way our community is. Um, and, and those are uh, immigration for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was... Uh, Immigration took the national stage, and you know, immigration is not new. Ill, uh, illegal immigration or undocumented uh, people living here undocumented—that's uh, not new. Um, but it, because it was thrown into the forefront with President Donald Trump and down and down in D.C., what's happening down in D.C. 
Frederick took a lot of spotlight, especially with, with Sheriff Chuck Jenkins, who goes down to D.C. and talks immigration policy with the president. Um, Frederick was kind of a, and, and the other side in Frederick, the people who are, um, you know, wanting to allow undocumented immigrants to, to live the life that they want to live and to kind of feel free and feel safe and be included. Uh, they're fighting back. And so um, there was a lot of push and shove and, and, and give and take this year. Um, and we had uh, uh, combating rallies. We had people uh, just uh, asking for AG opinions on the 287G program, auditing the 287G program, trying to figure out if the 287G program, a program that allows sheriff's deputies to inquire, or correctional officers, sorry, to inquire about someone's immigration status after they've been arrested for committing a crime in the jail. Um, that those people are wondering how much this is costing the county. Is it um, is it effective? Uh, and so all of those things are uh, ongoing still. Yes, I don't think it's going to stop, but um, it certainly took the forefront of the conversation this year. If I was a so, like a social scientist, like Frederick might be the place to do a case study on this, just because we're really close to D.C., but we're so far away from the border where so much attention was. Yeah. Although we have a very large Hispanic population with includes people who are undocumented but it's just such an interesting community is why immigration was so big here yeah and you know i actually yeah if i can criticize the paper and and this falls partly on me as as an editor i would say maybe we haven't covered it enough um because this is one of the singular issues that sets frederick apart from any other community in the united states uh being as close to dc as we are having the sheriff that we have with the program that he wants to participate in and as kind of uh, 50-50 along the political lines as this county is, it's made it a real battleground uh, community on this issue. And so I I actually think it's probably maybe a little bit bigger than we've played it up Um, and something I imagine we're going to obviously keep covering and maybe we can uh, continue that coverage in, in 2020. Uh, the two other issues that, uh, were huge in 2019 and will continue to be big is, uh, as, as we mentioned kind of briefly when we were talking about Mike Spurrier and, um, and you mentioned crime, uh, is downtown crime and homelessness. Um, residents of the city of Frederick feel very strongly that, uh, the city of Frederick, in particular, the corridor along Carroll Creek is that kind of a fork in the road here where we could go one direction or the other and, and lose that appeal and charm of the city uh, as a result of um, the homeless population that hangs out there and the amount of, uh, I would say, the perceived amount of crime that, um, and, and I guess it depends on what crime stats you want to use. Um, some say it's gone up, some say it's it's decreased, violent crime has decreased, the kind of nonviolent crimes maybe have increased. Um, but people uh, have this perception that it's becoming a much more dangerous part of our of our community, and they blame the homeless folks. And so this is something that we're going to continue to follow, uh, try to understand uh, where these crimes might be coming from, what the city can do about it, but also not losing the voice of um, the people who are kind of being blamed for this and, and you know, how we can, uh, how the community can support them as well. And I think even at the, uh, beyond that, like, cause it's easy to look at just the crime, but it's the, the treatment and, and the scapegoating 
um, and how that's going to affect services. We talked about Mike Spurrier being um, let go. Part of that is the idea that some people want to push some of the services out of downtown, Mm -hmm. um, which raises all sorts of issues because um, Frederick County is (laughs) pretty horrible when it comes to transportation for some people. Um, It can be really difficult, yeah. um, So it's going to be a very interesting 2020, I think. For sure. Um, And then the uh, kind of third issue um, that I think dominated from a governmental standpoint. Now, a lot of people don't think this is sexy, but when you're in a in a county where the biggest issue happening for the last five to ten years is the amount of growth and how you can keep up, because at the heart of most of our issues that we're talking about here, at the heart of them is, well, there's more people here now, and what are we going to do with these people? Um and how are we going to provide for these people? And how are we going to bring them into this community? So the Livable Frederick plan, and, and for people who don't know what that is, it's, it's the comprehensive plan, the, the basically governing document aside from the charter for Frederick County uh, for the next 40, 20 to 40 years, um, it is massive. Uh, it is a massively important plan, and it was massively dividing among people because it's totally uh, redoes the way we think about planning, where we used to think about it from a, a parcel aspect. You know, here is your property, and here's what your property is going to turn to, and this takes a much more broad look at um, this is what we want the community to be, and how do we get it there, and what do we want this community to look like, and what do we want this community to look like, and takes a much uh, it, it does not look at really individual properties as much, um, which is, is really interesting uh, for a lot of people. It was really concerning, um, but that document is going to shape what Frederick becomes and, and how we handle uh, this growth that we've that we've had kind of put on us uh, the last five to ten years, which has been a challenge for everyone to mm-hmm. kind of figure out. And regardless of whether you agree with it or not, and I'm sure there's parts people agree with where other people don't, and then they switch for a different part, it's kind of, um, you have to give kudos to the county for at least trying to think that far ahead um, and not just taking it every five years and being like, all right, where do we want to go now? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, that's one of the things that they, they did get credit for is the, the county was recognized for its, uh, I can't remember the reward, the award off the top of my head, but it was basically for great planning. And it was totally out of the box thinking. It was very visionary. Um, now the the challenge is going to be putting it in place and getting to what that vision is. How do we, how do we get there? Uh, so it's going to be a story to look in. It was one of the biggest stories of 2019, in my opinion going to be one of the biggest stories of 2020 and, and beyond. Well, yeah, because you have to look at so many different people. I mean, we're definitely, I think part of it was, you know, looking at where our seniors are going to go because we have so many more seniors than ever mm-hmm. anticipated. But also our school, the school children, people are moving to Frederick. It's a good place to live. So people are coming here. So, so many different moving parts. For sure. All right. Well, what about the decade? I know that neither of us were here for the entire decade, um, mostly because I think both of us were still in high school for some of it. Um, but are you guys? No, like, I was out. I was you, out. You graduated. All right. Yeah. So you were in college for some of it. I was yeah. finishing up high school and then entering college. But um, what are some of the things that affected Frederick County over the past 10 years? Yeah. First, the very first thing that comes to my mind is our switch to charter government. I guess it's kind of the political an analyst in me who want to be a political analyst um 
the switch the charter government changed the the structure the political structure of of frederick county uh and giving us a county executive very similar to what most of the the larger counties in the state have and um and it was in part in large part to give us more of a seat at the table with the rest of the state uh, so we used to have a board of county commissioners and they would kind of divide up who would go where and do what to advocate on behalf of the state and we didn't have a ton of bargaining power um, so the idea was this would give us more of a seat at the table to to kind of uh, address our needs um that's happened people in politics will tell you different reasons for why that's happened whether that be a republican governor who wants to look out for the rural areas whether that be the fact that we've got two people in the governor's cabinet from frederick county and and secretary david brinkley and secretary kelly schultz or they could tell you it's a result of having a county executive who can go down there and and uh you know bargain for you who can uh advocate for you and i'll i'll say um They've done a lot of that. I mean, Jan Gardner is is in Frederick a lot, but she has spent a lot of time in Annapolis advocating for, for needs for Frederick County, and as has Roger Wilson and Joy Schaefer will, will be down there a lot as well. So, um, yeah, I think that is one of the biggest stories of, of the last decade, for, at least in my opinion. Um, the other one that that always comes to my mind because we are in this kind of uh generational problem with uh the environment and how we how we go about handling that we have a we have a landfill that's pretty much completely full you know we're diverting trash to other places um to think about what the incinerator would have done there was a big and it started back before the turn of the decade but it ended i think in 2014 uh a, a push to bring an incinerator where we would take our trash and and burn it um, to Frederick County, and that ended up not falling through. And you you wonder what that would have done to the county. I mean, that was a massive, massive story at the time, um, and it's no telling what the legacy of it is because it didn't happen. You know, how can you quantify something that never happened? But um, I wonder how how worse, how much worse that might have made air quality or, or whatever you know happening in the environment how much uh, pressure that would have put on the environment versus how much we've saved or what it, what it would have done to relieve our landfill. You know, that very well might have been something we could have, we could have used. So that was, that's a, a story that sticks out in my mind of kind of like a, what could have been. Um, and I know I'm leaving a bunch out. Well, I guess in 2018, which is not that far ago, but you did have the flooding that was pretty devastating to the County. And it's probably a, yeah. more, a story that's going to continue for the next couple of years as places still recover or change how they address it well yeah i mean a how they recover and how they address it and b we keep seeing these storms i mean these hundred year storms now are happening every two years three years four years so um 2018 was a big one and there was another one this year that people you you know you saw a lot of things on social media but the the fact is in, in the 2018 did cause a lot of damage um but there's also some positives to to take away from both of these storms because our system in the city in particular worked the way it's supposed to. Um, and that probably saved hundreds of millions. So tens of millions of dollars of damage may have occurred, may have happened. And there are places like Brunswick that are still dealing with mm-hmm. it and still don't have the, the uh, water sources that they need. But um, there's probably hundreds of millions of dollars of infrastructure that were saved because of the the uh, flood mitigation systems that we have in the city. 
When you see it, I mean, it still has those ripple effects. I mean, part of the flooding happened, um, it did hit some of the stuff with Fort Zietrich, which led to some mm-hmm. issues with Yosemite, which led to the shutdown, which, you know, so you see these ripple effects that even though it happened in 2018, I'm sure in 2020, every once in a while we'll still see ripple effects from big storms like that. Yeah, for sure. And the other environment, I guess it's not environmental, but kind of on that beat since we lump agriculture in with environment. What about the loss of farming in Frederick County? Have you noticed that it has started to disappear a little bit more um, over the past decade? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you just look at the amount of growth we've had, I mean, those those houses have to go somewhere. They've gone on farms. Um, the and this will be a really interesting story to continue to follow. But I mean, everybody knows farming is hard. Like farming is really challenging, and and they've made some strides in in making technology a little bit easier to farm. And you know, people have downsized their farms, so they're just frankly not having to do as much. As if you're like a dairy farmer, you don't have to milk as much cattle now. They have machines, and you probably have less cattle. So they've they've done some things to make it a little easier, but it, it's just really difficult to make a living in farming. And in 2018 in particular, it was a very wet year. Uh, a lot of farms either kind of shut down or they were close to shut down, shutting down. Um, so, yes, those farms are disappearing. I'm not 100% sure it's because of any one thing. There's a kind of a multitude of factors. But I'd st- I would still say that this is uh, I don't I don't know if I want to use predominantly agricultural community, but um, it definitely has an agricultural presence still. It's still at the heart of of this community. It is still agriculture, um, and our farmers are are getting much more active. I think in the community. That's one of the biggest changes I've seen is they're advocating for themselves now more than ever because they don't have a choice. Mm. You know, it's it, they have to survive. Um, the but the I think the thing we'll continue to see farms do to kind of buoy themselves, and you see this a lot. You see this in newspapers. Newspapers that are having challenging times, they diversify revenue streams. I think we're going to see farms do that. You know, you might have a crop farmer who's crop farmed for forty years. Uh, and maybe he wants to continue crop farming, but he cuts that down to 20 and he puts a brewery on mm-hmm. 20 acres, right? So um, you're going to continue to see them do different things to kind of try to to try to survive and, and make this happen. And uh, the, the optimism in me, uh, which you probably know there's not much of, mm-hmm. um, but the, the optimist in me thinks farmers are incredibly resilient people. And I think they'll they'll figure it out. All right. Well, anything else from the decade? Oh, um, gosh, I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm mm-hmm. leaving so many stories out, but uh, I... Alan's yeah, email is citydesk yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at com. Send him all your thoughts on what he missed. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm trying to... One of my favorite stories of the entire uh, decade, um, just because of the tragedy of it all, was the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Frederick News posted a, a really large story on uh, all the people that we lost lost in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, you know, we live here and we live this normal life and it's just kind of kind of dragged on. And a lot of like sometimes I find myself forgetting that we've still got people over there. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're still losing some folks and uh, it's in a much smaller amount. But but in the first 10 years, we we lost a lot of people from Frederick. Uh, to those wars and so remembering their legacies remembering what they did for us um, was and putting that in print and archiving that 
was really important to me um and something that i remember just be, i i thought the that page that day was was really well done by us all right well oh and snowmageddon everybody remembers snowmageddon yes and let's i mean it's december now but let's cross our fingers that we won't be talking about another snowmageddon on a <laughs> and year that ends in zero i'm telling me you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna lose me to the south <laughs> you and me both i'm so tired of the snow <laughs> it hasn't even happened yet but let's look forward to 2020. Um, what are some of your New Year's resolutions for the paper in terms of stories that you hope that we cover? Yeah, so uh, the the three the, the three or four that I mentioned that were the big ones in twenty in 2019. I don't think any of those are going to stop. I think we're going to continue covering those. Uh, as I said with immigration, we should probably do more. Um, the one thing I, I think we came up uh, pretty short on this year. Uh, for various reasons, uh, but I think we'll do a better job of in 2020 is continue to following the, the heroin and opioid epidemic. Um, and the county's making strides in handling that, and I think that's why we're going to, to do more. We're going to continue to see things with these detox centers. We've had several detox centers open up this year, and they're all fairly new, and so it's hard to judge the impact that they've had. Uh, but I think as they, they uh, open up and, and really get on the ground running we're going to see the effect that they have on on our, our community and on this epidemic. Um, we're going to continue to see how law law enforcement addresses it, which is, um, you know, they I, they're going after more of kind of the the higher end dealers than the users. They'd rather keep it out of the users' hands, but they're not going to. Uh, they they haven't been at least you know really prosecuting or or uh, trying to throw the book at the users. They're, it's more of a treatment-based approach with them and going after the folks who are who are bringing this stuff in from, from different cities. So that's going to be a big one for us. Um, uh, obviously the election. Uh, I mean, it's not a lot of races going on here. We got the Board of Education, and I think that's it. Maybe a Congress race. Um, but it's the presidential election, and uh, even if there's one race on the ballot more people turn out for that one race than they do for the local elections so um it's going to be a important election i i think it's uh this country might be at a crossroads and how they want to which way we want to go um and the political discourse has gotten worse than ever uh so i'm looking forward to the debates those will be fun <laughs> uh but but um yeah, that that'll be a big story for us, even though it doesn't have necessarily a local tie exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of does. I mean, how many people do we talk to that are you know Senator Michael Huff goes down to the uh, White House, um, Chuck, uh, Sheriff Chuck Jenkins goes down, Charlie Smith was just down there. So we have a lot of people who from the, our county, either representing the entire state or other people, um, or just the county itself. They're constantly down at the White House. So it'll be interesting if it's not Trump again. Does that change? Do we have less representation down there? How does that affect us? I mean, one of the biggest things about the federal government that people forget is it's all money, and money does trickle down to Frederick County a lot. For sure. Absolutely. Um, and the other, so I mentioned growth, mentioned immigration, mentioned heroin. I think the next biggest issue for me in 2020 is how we adopt to this changing economy. Uh, so the economy is, is very different than it was 10 to 15 years ago. It's a lot more automated than it was 10 to 15 years ago. Frederick is making a push to get into e-commerce and doing things kind of a more web-based approach. So I'm really excited to see what trends we kind of see coming forward. One of the biggest ones we saw in 2019 in economic development, and maybe this doesn't rise to um, some of the other stories we talked about because it just 
it doesn't feel like it has as real world of an effect, but it's it, to me it's super interesting. It's kind of a low business nerd. Um, is, is how retail has changed so much as we've we've seen or this perception that the the bottom of retail has completely fallen out because of Amazon. You know the Amazon effect and and frankly e-commerce has basically made some brick and mortar stores irrelevant and those stores have closed down in large part and we haven't. Frederick's had a historically pretty di- uh, diverse and resilient economy, so we haven't seen those effects as much. I mean, if you look at FSK Mall, we haven't lost a single anchor store. Uh, so that's that's pretty impressive resiliency. But what we have seen is a major, major increase in experiential businesses. And we've seen things like Tree Trekkers open. And we talked about the entertainment hub going to District 40 out where the Fredericktown Mall used to be. And the other Frederick, or the other entertainment hub going out to Arcadia Business Park on 85. Um, we've seen the rock climbing wall mm-hmm. places open. So all of these cool, all of these businesses where it's you, you go and you do and hatchet throwing places. Yeah. You go to these places and you do something. A lot of times it seems to be dangerous, which is. I, I, I don't know. You had an element of danger and people will pay you money for mm-hmm. it. But um, where you go and you kind of have this experience rather than buy something, a good, a material good, and take it home, uh, that's kind of one of the biggest changes I've seen. But I think we're going to see uh, some more nationwide trends in terms of e- e-commerce and, and automation kind of make their way into uh, the the state and the county. Um, and we're also going to see how the county adapts to a $15 minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least moving in that direction. So that's going to be a big change for us, and we'll see how businesses how businesses adapt to that as well. Well, talking about the experience, it's something that we'll probably have to follow along. It's just how our towns are adapting to that, because you talk about the main streets. And even in Frederick, everything, um, when I hear, I cover Mount Area in Brunswick and everything, is we want people to have an experience. So it's not just even the experience in one store. Yeah. It's the experience of coming downtown, so then I'm going to pop into like three stores. Make maybe a day buy of it. Of it. Yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting because they seem to be on it, and it's just a little bit slower, I think, for our towns than some of the retail ex- bigger stores that have the money and the cash flow. Yeah, and you understand. I, I mean, you can understand why it would be a little bit more difficult to lure business mm-hmm. to a town like Brunswick that has you know, 5,000 people in it, right? whereas a town like or a city like Frederick has 70. I mean, more people means more opportunity to get people into your doors. So I understand that, but I, I think um, – we, the Frederick County, actually, I don't know how many people know this. Frederick County has more main streets, more towns with a main street designation, which is kind of a, it's important in terms mm-hmm. of it, it means you've got some type of, of activity along your main street and, and economic development along your main street. They have more, more main streets than any county in the state. Which is very impressive. It is. And so that means... Even those municipalities that we that we kind of perceive because we we live here in a pretty economically diverse diverse county with with some real uh, some real chops in, in the ec- economic development department, um, those other towns and municipalities are doing really well for themselves. I think, um, and you know, obviously they want to improve. Obviously they they can do better. Mm-hmm. I think uh, a lot of the folks that are in those positions are aware of that and and they're addressing it. It just happens. You know, government tends to work a little bit slower. All right. Well, anything else that you think that we have not covered and we need to? Healthcare. <laughs> I knew that one was coming. <laughs> uh, healthcare will be, if not the issue of the 2020 election, it'll be one of the biggest issues of the 2020 election, and we're going to continue to see how people pay for it. Uh, it's. It is it not is, easy. <laughs> it is very difficult. Pri- prices. Uh, 
we saw it here. Uh, prices are increasing. Plans are getting more or less and less affordable, more and more challenging to, to pay for. Uh, and costs of care are rising. So uh, how people figure out how to pay for health care is going to be a, a defining story, I think, of our generation, but definitely a, a massive story of 2020. Yeah, we've done some work, I think, in 2018 and 2019, but it's, um, I like to quote, uh, of all people, Donald Trump, when he said, who knew healthcare could be so complicated? And I feel like that is the moral of every healthcare is like the logo that we use um, because it is just so complicated. Even in a place like Frederick, you wouldn't believe how many different threads there are to this story. So it is definitely something that we will be pulling on and talking about from seniors to ambulance rides to all sorts of things. Even the healthy people, you get one bad trip and get into a car crash or something and you're facing a lot of medical debt all of a sudden. Yeah, or even things that, I mean, just luck of the draw, like a cancer diagnosis. We saw earlier in a story that you wrote this year, a cancer diagnosis can take you from living a regular lifestyle with a job to, to being homeless and unemployed. Um, those types of things don't, on the surface, it doesn't seem like the world should work that way, but that's currently what we're dealt and so we're trying to figure out how to how to play that hand yeah and just i mean this is not so much a 2020 story but just something that happens every year but the um, general assembly is coming back and so that is the kind of the time that we do see some possible changes so healthcare is always on the um, tops of mind of people and the general assembly um, it's kind of weird but the way it works is if you want something to be covered by most insurances you have to get medicare to cover it um, which doesn't really apply to anyone except those who are older than 65 but if medicare does it Aetna or Blue Cross, they're probably going to do it too. So it'll be interesting to see what they try to get added to our insurance or how they hope insurance changes in Maryland. And one more. Um, I don't care at all about this, mm -hmm. but a lot of people do, and a uh, former colleague Nancy Lavin certainly will. <laughs> uh, the 2020 census is starting. Yes, the um, census. So the census is going to be a big, a really big story for um, a lot of folks. Uh, since it's never really done anything for me, it's kind of boring. A lot of numbers and math not really my jam. But uh, I do realize the importance of it, so I wanted to make sure that we mention it, and we'll be covering the census as well. We will be covering the census, or rather, I think I will be covering the census. But um, it, I don't know if it's a 2020 story as much as it's a 2021, 20, 22, all the rest. Because yeah, it's, it's mostly going to be about years, the collection yeah. of the, the data. Yeah. But what that but. data does show us is pretty important for things that come out after it's released because that's what you based your alice report on and all the united way services it's again we talked about everything's about money and the census shows us where the money needs to go yeah we should we should just have a one one money beat reporter yeah just, just follows money everywhere yeah so if you're listening frederick news post we would like another reporter just for money <laughs> <laughs> just to cover money all right well is there anything else that you think we need to do for the uh, 2020 there's so much, uh, but I think those are the big ones. I don't want to spend too much time <laughs> going over what I'm going to have you guys uh, do for the <laughs> next year. Um, no, but those are, those are the big stories I think we should be following and people will be paying attention to. All right. And well, we don't put out a lot of plugs on this uh, podcast, but we are talking about some pretty important stuff that we'll be covering in 2020. And the best way to do that is to subscribe to our newspaper Um it helps us continue to cover it and actually helps you keep informed. And I think this year, probably more than other years in the past, is definitely one that you do not want to be down on. Um, and we will be covering everything that happens in Frederick County. So anything else you think we need to know? 
No, I think I, I that's every. I'm all talked out. <laughs> My mouth is dry. It's Christmas Eve. I'm ready to go. All right, perfect. Well, Alan, thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Merry <laughs> Christmas, depending on when this comes out to you as well. Happy Hanukkah also. Thank you. And of course, if you have any tips for stories that we should cover in 2020, please email citydesk at newspost.com. Now, food and education reporter Katrina Pereira is back this week with her latest food review. Okay, Katrina, so before we get into your food review, we are doing an episode about the end of the year and the end of the decade. So um, I know you haven't been here too long, but what has been your favorite food review that you did? Hmm. Little curveball here, (laughs) Heather. Um, I would have to say one of my first reviews, which was um, Kitty Watt Thai Kitchen. Their Thai food is just incredible, like truly some of the best Thai food I've ever had. All right, perfect. Well, everyone can go back to 72 hours and read that review. But let's look to the future. So where are you going this week? So this week I did the cafeteria in the H Mart grocery store on the Golden Mile, which is um, just like an Asian grocery store. All right. Well, first, when you say cafeteria, is it truly cafeteria style? Like, how would you describe it? I mean, I would kind of actually more describe it maybe like a food court. Um, You know, there are different vendors and... You can order whatever you want, and, you know, there's a large seating area. It's it's very much like a food court. All right. So what kind of food did you try? So I tried a bunch of different things. Um, Kate Masters actually did review this food court when it opened along with the grocery store two years ago. Uh, but since then, it has expanded, so I decided to go back and try some of the new things um, available. And... I tried a bunch of different Asian flavors. I mean, you can get Korean there. You can get Japanese. You can get Chinese, um, Taiwanese even. So um, when I went back, one of the new places focuses on Korean food and tofu in particular. Um, And one of the things I tried was their sizzling bibimbap, which um, for those that don't know, is a pretty standard Korean dish. It's like a rice bowl. All right. Well, so when you say that you can go to H Mart and get these different types of Asian flavors, mm-hmm. are we talking commercialized Asian flavors or are they more authentic? No, I would say for the most part, it's pretty authentic. Um, you have a pretty large Asian population in Frederick. Um, and I would say that the food court definitely caters to that. All right. Perfect. So let's get back to the meal that you had. What you when you said it's sizzling, is it truly sizzling when it gets to the table? It truly is sizzling. You will hear the sizzle. Um, it kind of comes out on this large black hot <laughs> plate, um, and everything is just cooking in front of you. And the key here is to mix it all immediately so that everything gets kind of you know everything touches the the bottom of the plate and you know gets a little heat and also so that the rice which coats the bottom of the pan doesn't get burned and doesn't get too crispy because that's kind of not fun to eat (laughs) so i was with katrina and we didn't know this right away so we had a few (laughs) kernels of burnt rice well also because we were taking photos (laughs) and we didn't have time to mix yeah yeah and then all of a sudden we're like oh we have to mix it (laughs) um but it's pretty large which is kind of surprising absolutely this could easily feed two to three people Um, and what did you think of the flavors the flavors were definitely there. Um, I was a little disappointed that there wasn't as much beef as I 
was hoping for. Um, but I definitely think the Korean flavors were all there. You know, they give you a little side of gochujang, which is kind of like a red chili paste. And it definitely, you know, kind of adds that flair to it when you put it on. All right. So besides that, what else did you try? Um, so besides that, I tried um, katsudon, which is I think one of the most underrated Japanese <laughs> dishes. Um, whenever people think of Japanese cuisine, they always think ramen or sushi. But katsudon is is pretty popular and a pretty standard Japanese dish. Um, another rice bowl. Um, it's a bed of rice with a breaded fried pork cutlet and like scrambled eggs. Interesting. Very very comfort food. Um, it's warm. It's cozy. It's like it's just. Perfect. All right. Well, we know that you are a pork expert because of your travels (laughs) and your other food reviews. So how was the pork? The pork was very good. Um, You know, well fried and everything worked together. Um, There was a little bit, excuse me, there, in my opinion, there was a little too much sauce in the bowl, um, but that was just my personal preference. All right. So we're talking about cafeteria food, good cafeteria food. But Mm -hmm. when I say cafeteria food, what am I expecting to pay for this kind of food? The prices reflect a food court. Um, you know, you're talking no more than maybe 15 to $20. Um, you know, if you're getting like the sizzling hot plate, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. But um, I would say an average lunch price of between, you know, maybe 10 and $15. So pretty good price for some pretty good food. Absolutely. All right. Well, so I know that you've mostly focused on the um, cafeteria, but or the food court. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those who have never been to an H Mart, what is it? So it's an Asian grocery store. So essentially you can get a lot of items that you can't get in maybe, you know, your traditional Safeway or Wegmans um, that are imported directly from a lot of Asian countries. Um, You know, my family is South Asian and we have been going to Asian grocery stores for as long (laughs) as I can remember because it's a lot easier to get some ingredients at those grocery stores than it is at maybe your giant all right. Well, so for those who have never been and might be you know, hearing this and want to go check out the food court and then also do a little shopping, what are some things that you think that they should put in their cart because they can only get at H-Mart? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like Asian snacks and sweets. Like they're pa- like I'm talking about the packaged snacks, <laughs> like the like the choco balls and like all of that. I mean, so good. <laughs> like just even if you don't know what it is, if it looks appetizing, buy it. I guarantee you, you will love it. I always went there because I love H- high shoes and I like lived off of them in grad school. Yes. And that was like the best place to go. <laughs> yes. And I don't know. I mean, this could just be my family, but we have always gotten like our meats and our fish from Asian grocery stores. We find them to be a lot fresher and um, actually a little cheaper. So. All right. So go grocery shopping there. Check out the food court. Mm -hmm. Is it something that you have to eat there or can you take it to go? Depends on what you're ordering. If you're ordering the sizzling bibimbap, you're going to have to sit down and eat it. You can't carry (laughs) that entire plate out of the grocery (laughs) store. But if you're getting like sushi, can easily get it to go. All right. Perfect. Well, anything else we should know? No, I think that's it. All right. And what are you looking forward to at the new year? Oh, my gosh. Eating more food, obviously. All right. Well, as you heard here, we're going to be continuing to do the food reviews. So continue to check in next year to see where else Katrina goes. Yes. And if you have any suggestions, Katrina, what's your email? Yes. If you have any suggestions, definitely email me. Um, My email is K and then my last name Pereira, which is P-E-R-E-R-A at newspost.com. You can easily find it on the website as well. All right. Perfect. Well, Katrina, thank you so much. Thank you. 
As always, you can read the articles discussed at fredericknewspost.com and follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Fred News Post. And in the spirit of resolutions, please let us know how we can improve Frederick Uncut in the year to come. You can tweet at me at hmangilio or send me an email at hmangilio at newspost.com. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next year.